welcome to the 50th episode of Gifts of the Weird. When I recorded this episode with Paul, I did not know at the time that it would be the 50th. So I'm dropping this in post-production to say thank you for being with me on this podcast journey. It's been over five years and creating 50 episodes has introduced me to a lot of interesting topics, projects, and people. I appreciate you listening and being part of this continuing adventure. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Gifts of the Weird. I am John, your host, and with me is my guest, Paul Mercurio. Paul is a heathen based out of New York City who practices connections to urban spirits, beings, and energies. He is a goalie of the North River Kindred in New York City. He is the New York City steward for the Troth, leads monthly discussions about interesting topics. He has a geology degree, a geography degree, a landscape architecture degree, and I teased him about that. That is a mouthful. <laughs> and he's been an urban planner for over a decade. Paul, <laughs> welcome to Gifts of the Weird after, what, four or five months we've been planning this? It's It's been a while, but it's an honor, and thank you so much for having me. Happy hey. Yeah, thanks for being here too. This has been fun. And we've had a lot of fun pre-talking, but now we're going to just keep going then on. I finally turned the recording on. <laughs> so this is a lot of great time. Well, let's let's introduce people to who you are. Tell us about you, uh, how you came to Heathenry, and how you, uh, are you native to New York City, or how did you get there? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I grew up on the Hudson River in actually the house that my grandfather and grandmother lived in that my father was raised in. Um, they got that house when they came over from Italy back in the early 20th century. So I, I grew up with a very strong sense of place. And the village I grew up in on the Hudson River was a very, very old village. It was originally settled by the Dutch, you know, the Dutch colonists uh, when they were displacing the native people. Not so great. But anyway, that is the history of my my home village. And so I grew up in in a history of my own family, in a history of the land. I grew up on the Hudson River where the the, the nature was just really just omnipresent. I, I the where the where I grew up the river is tidal. So it there were crabs and there were eels and, and there were people that were fishing and there were crabbing and it was just the connection with the land was very strong where I grew up. Um and I, I always felt that kind of draw to the numinous, if you will. But I, and well, and, and to, to complement that draw, I wanted to be Christian, I guess, because that was the only game in town. But my family was not incredibly religious. And it was more of a, you know, like, we're, we're here for the, the, the community, but we're not necessarily here for the devotional aspects. And so ever since a young age, I was always very kind of curious to learn more about spirituality and different religions. And as a teenager, I very quickly called myself pagan. I got uh, Starhawk's Spiral Dance and I was doing uh, tarot card readings. And yeah, just I, I, I just considered myself generally pagan. And it wasn't until I was in my, my late 20s, early 30s that I actually found about heathenry. I found about reconstructionism as an idea and instantly, instantly fell in love with heathenry. And I felt that it was my religious home. Um, there were a lot of things about just kind of, I'll say the Gardnerian Wiccan that didn't really sit well with me. I, I didn't like the soft polytheism as much that I experienced. I didn't like the the binary of God goddess. 
that I experienced there being being a queer gay man myself. Like I just that whole God plus goddess equals best stuff ever. It just didn't sit well with me. And so as I as I learned about heathenry, as I learned about like Loki's queerness with his gender fluidity and his shape shifting and, and Odin with his you know, gender queerness, we'll say, and even as far as as Thor with the cross dressing, like there was a lot of queerness in heathenry that really drew me to it, and there were just a lot of other lessons that just it felt right, it fit, and I just I felt very quickly at home within the heathen faith, and uh, that's what got me here, where I am today. That's quite. <laughs> I'm sure it's one that a lot of people can identify with, um, coming from that Christian background and identifying with uh, the heathenry or the, the Norse paganism and those those aspects of it. It's really interesting to me that uh, coming from an Italian background or, you know, your, you, did you say your, your parents or your grandparents were from Italy? My, my grandparents were from Italy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting that rather than going to a Roman background or maybe even a Greek, um, that's interesting how the uh, heathen or the North, Northern Germanic uh, Norse gods called you. Yeah, I, I, I've, I have thought about this, and it is interesting. Um, this is this is a, a bit of a tangent, I guess. But my where the village where my grandmother was from, they actually found a key w- from a temple complex of an ancient Oscan goddess named Herentus, and uh, I so I'm very interested in that. But I, I still feel most grounded in heathenry as a practice, as a faith, and the way that it's a you know a, a community oriented faith and the way that we work with each other and the the roman faith i i honestly don't know super that much about I'll, I'll be honest it's the the heathenry has really drawn to me and and i feel like yes my my genetic bloodline is from italy on my father's side but i grew up in the us in an in an american country which was primarily the culturally influenced by the english by who were a germanic people and so you know it doesn't matter what your blood is but like everyone who is it's of it's of my perspective that everyone who is exposed to american culture is exposed on some level to heathenry without even realizing it because american culture is a germanic culture heritage wise i don't know if heritage is the right way to say this but do you you know where i'm getting with this it's i, I do yeah it, it, <laughs> it that, that's just the beauty of heathenry and norse paganism is that it doesn't matter what your quote-unquote genetic your genetic heritage is they call who they call and that's just really an amazing aspect of things yeah yeah i mean that's exactly exactly and i So we're here to talk about uh, an interesting, I guess, urban, working with urban spirits and working with the urban way of things because... (laughs) I I love that it's it's even difficult to even figure out how to say this, right? It's just so different than the way we usually think about connecting with the land. It it, it is because, you know, know, when I first came into paganism in the early 2000s, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you've got to go out and connect with nature and cities bad, nature good, forests good, everything's in the forest. That's the only way you can connect or the best way, not the only way, but the best way to connect with nature spirits and all that. You know, and, and Paul, that really, that never really sat 100% accurate with me because I 
always thought, hey, I live here. What about the spirits that are right here where I am in my, in my, where I live? And fortunately I live in, you know, a little neighborhood outside. I don't live in a downtown area. Listen, I think all places in the world are amazing and beautiful and have great things to offer. But I grew up in the shadow of New York City. I I grew up maybe 10, 15 miles away on the Hudson River. And I, as I travel more and more in my life, as I visit more and more cities, I, (laughs) I, I've yet to find another place that really feels like New York City. And it's, it's surprising me how special and unique New York City is in that way. And, and, and I, I want to be wrong here because I don't want to think that like it's unique and it's the only one. And there's so many people who get kind of up their own butts about like how special their area is. And I don't want to be that person, but like I, I grew up here and it's, it is, there's something special here that has always drawn me to being in this area. And it's, I grew up on the Hudson river and I'm, I'm still very close to the Hudson river and my, my kindred, I don't, uh, is, is the North river kindred and the, the North River is what the, the Dutch colonists called the Hudson River before it became the Hudson River. I don't know if you – fun fact, in the early 1800s, on the 200th anniversary of Henry Hudson uh, sailing up the Hudson River, the, the then – well, I guess it was a state at that point. The state of New York renamed the North River to the Hudson River and in honor of Henry Hudson's voyages up the river. But prior to that, it was called the North River. And the native people, like, hey, shout out to the people who have been here for thousands of years. Uh, They call it the river that flows both ways because most of the Hudson River is a tidal river that um, sometimes you can get salt water as far as up up to Albany, which may not mean much to people. But, like, Albany is pretty far inland. Uh, And and, uh, so it's it's a special river, and it's always been special to the people along it. And... uh, it, it didn't feel right for my kindred to be to to use the native name like that's like not our word and we didn't want to be appropriative but we also didn't want to use like so we don't call ourselves the Hudson River kindred but thankfully there was the North River as a a kind of balancing name that that that's wonderful I love that idea that's, that's so cool it, it's so so I work as a as an urban planner and I uh, specifically do transportation planning and kind of corridor open space design in the right of way, the space between the buildings. And it's an incredibly complicated space. And it's an incredibly complicated, you could almost call it an organism. Mm-hmm. It's all of the things that go into our public spaces and the right of ways in our built environments is, is just, is, is just so powerful to me. And it's, I have a lot of training and background in understanding what these systems are and what they look like and how they're functioning. And so I feel like I can connect to them in that way because I have this training and this background. Um, you know, earlier you were mentioning about how like people are always saying that like, you have to go back to forests, you have to go back to nature. And I do think it's important to acknowledge that there are like physical health, like benefits to being in an, in a, we'll say unbuilt environment where there, there, there's this tradition of tree bathing, walking underneath the trees, and they find that it does improve your blood pressure. Mm-hmm. For example, it can help with depression uh, in some cases. So there, there are benefits to being amongst trees, to being amongst greenery. And in my, my theory of this is that as, as human beings, 
we evolved alongside the other living organisms of this world. And we have now created a built environment that has different systems that we haven't evolved alongside. And there is some sort of connection that doesn't happen as readily. But I do believe firmly that in built environments, you can connect to them if you understand what's there. And it, but it just takes time and research on some level. And I've, I've had the privilege of being able to spend time studying these things, studying geology and geography and landscape architecture and how cities get built and why cities get built and what the, the water and soil and, you know, bedrock conditions surrounding how they're built. Like it's crazy. And I'm so thankful that I've had this background that I want to be able to share all of the crazy weird things that I've learned, because in learning what I've learned, I'm able to connect better with the spirits of the land in an urban, in a built environment. And it's, it's nothing special. It's just that, that I can look at things and understand things in a way that a lot of other people haven't been trained to. And so that is actually really why I wanted to reach out to you and talk with you and, and share the, the random weird things that I have learned in my environment and as a professional in my job, because they do have religious, spiritual applications as a heathen or even as just a pagan in general. Yeah, indeed. Ugh, sorry. It's like... <laughs> oh, that's, that's really cool because I kind of... Uh, I don't... <laughs> where do you even begin, right? Where like, do we begin? <laughs> well, you know, there's, of course, the, the spirits of nature, the spirits of place that are that are there. And then humans came and regardless of how we did it, we've built buildings and cities and pavements and streets and sewers. And so to me, that creates a whole new set of spirits that are there as part of those different lines and things that are not quite part of the spirits of place. So especially in a busy urban area, how do you connect with some of those or how do you identify and recognize, do you think, some of those? And being an urban planner, uh, you must have run into a lot of that a lot. How, how do you... Um, introduce yourself or meet those those spirits it for me it starts with water that's the fundamental part of how people settle on a land is there needs to be fresh water and where is that water coming from and finding the history of that water and how like new york city i i can i can speak for a while about how new york city's water systems impacted how it grew <laughs> there is a thing called collect pond that was a freshwater lake in lower Manhattan that separated the original kind of Dutch New Amsterdam sort of settlement from the rest of the island of Manhattan. And over time, Collect Pond became more and more polluted and there were more and more problems with it. And, and they the, the early colonists had to like find more and more water resources throughout the island of Man Manhattan because they kind of polluted. But um, I'm, gonna, I'm going to fast forward to, to New York City is a city made up of five different boroughs. I think a lot of people know that. But what people don't realize is why New York City is made of five different boroughs. <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's because of water. Because Long Island is the, the landform that Queens and Brooklyn are on. Long Island is a, and this is where the geology comes in, Long Island is a glacial terminal moraine where back about 10, 15,000 years ago, there were glaciers in North America, well, covering most of North America. We still kind of have them today. Fingers crossed. <laughs> but, uh, 
10, 15 years, 15,000 years ago, we had our last ice age. The glaciers came across the area in the Northeast here. They scraped up all the soil and they basically like a bulldozer pushed all that soil out into what became Long Island. And if you actually look at like the, the map, it's kind of cool. You'll see Long Island as a line. And then a little further down, you'll see Block Island off Rhode Island. And then further down, you see Cape Cod. And the, the, the curvy arm of Cape Cod is actually because that glacial terminal moraine intersected with the uh, mid-Atlantic current coming up the coast and deposited the glacial terminal moraine into that arc of the kind of like the, the flexing arm sort of shape that you see. But it, it's, it's clear as day if you know what to look for with that glacial terminal moraine. Really cool stuff. Which is to say... Long Island is, by and large, mostly a pile of dirt. <laughs> and it doesn't have a lot of uh, bedrock in it, and it is surrounded by salt water. And so the freshwater resources on Long Island are incredibly limited. And as Brooklyn was growing as a city, and as the collection of different villages that were Queens were all growing, and to be fair, Queens did have a city of its own. It had Long Island City, which is now a neighborhood in Queens. But they were they couldn't grow anymore. And New York, New York City, which at the time was the island of Manhattan and um, the Bronx, um, and Staten Island, the three it was three things that was uh, New York City at the time. They consolidated with Queens and Brooklyn because they had the water resources going coming from the north and the Catskills at that point. The very in the 19th century, there were some very forward-thinking planners within New York City that saw that they were going to need water, and they went up into the Catskill Mountains. They bought all the land around these lakes, and so they like all of the land within these lakes are now part of a protected watershed, and they built these huge dams and reservoirs and pipes to take water from the mountains of the Catskills and bring it down through. Hudson Valley down into the Bronx, into uh, Manhattan and into New York City. And it was that water resource that the people living in what would become Queens and what was the city of Brooklyn that they wanted in order to grow bigger, they needed more water. And so that was what was behind the consolidation of 18, 1898 for New York City. Water. <laughs> water. <laughs> it's it, so that's a long way of saying like if you want to understand if you really want to start working with the spirits of the land where you're at start by pouring yourself a glass of water start by researching where your municipality gets its water and how that water gets from where it is to your tap it's a it's a very simple thing but it's it's something that so many people don't really know about or think about like i i don't want to put you on the spot but do you you I would hope you've lived there for a long time. You know where you get your water from, I hope. I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not very local. Oh, no. Most, most of our water comes from the Colorado River. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They purchase it out of there. But we are building water reclamation and desalinization here. So uh, that's getting a little bit better, but it's slow process. Yeah. And I mean... The, the story of the Southwest and the development of the Southwest is, yeah. it shouldn't really surprise you, actually, that I say it starts with water being in San Diego, because, yeah, 
that there's the history of water is so important to how we develop. And it's, it's crazy to think about. We've, we have so much technology and so many resources, but the simple fact of access to water is just such a basic living need. It's final. Yeah. So being able to like connect with a sense of place, you need to connect with the water first Mm -hmm. and foremost. And, you know, as uh, we're, we're both members of the Troth and we've both been to Troth moots where, you know, there is a beautiful ritual that happens when we do an in-person troth moot where everybody brings water from where they're at and we collect it together. And like, there's, there's beautiful symbolic power in that, but there is like, (laughs) it's just such a beautiful thing. And so being able to understand where you get your water from, and then like, I'm, I'm not really here to, to give ritual advice or give magical advice. Like I really want people to like you do your practice, you do how magic and ritual works for you. What I'm encouraging or what I want to encourage people by, by being here as part of your show is, is to, to intentionally research those pieces that may be overlooked and thinking about where you get your water from is a real important part of being connected to your city because that water has been put in service to the city. Yeah. So and- let's talk about like the real urban aspect of things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah I, I had a feeling you were going to, so let me, let me, uh, I'll, 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 let me make, let me connect all the pieces first before I get into the gritty aspects of this. Okay, great. Yeah. Cause I think people find a, I, I don't think people have, as much of a difficult opportunity to uh, connect with nature out in a forest or a, a desert or, or a meadow or things like that. I think it's really when they get into the city. So, well, so how the water gets there is not a metaphor. It literally goes through water lines and trunk mains and every, almost every road that you walk down has water lines in it. Where are those water lines? There are, there are things that you can look for in the road that actually tells you where the water mains are or where the water pipes are that the, those are your, your energy lines because the energy follows the, the physical materials, right? So like you have lines of water coming down your street into all of the buildings and understanding where those lines are is, is is a great way of being connected to that street and and looking at a street and not saying, oh, here's just some asphalt and here's some concrete on top of it. But like understanding how that street was built, understanding what utilities are where, if you start seeing, if you literally start looking beneath the surface, well, maybe not literally, metaphorically start start looking or thinking beneath the surface of what is here that can that can just really open up your experience instead of just walking along an asphalt surface you're suddenly you can see and you can you can trace the the lines of electric energy of water energy where of, of sewers and storm drains and and you suddenly start seeing that this this once flat mostly flat roadway is actually this like really complex three-dimensional space with all of these different systems at play that keep us alive. It is the veins and the arteries of a city. And it's it's so hidden from so much of us. And we don't see it there. But there's if, if you want to see the city as a thing that is alive, look in the road, look at these, look at these systems of energy 
that are in every road, almost every road. And they're there, but but they, but people just don't innately connect to them in the way that one would innately connect to a grove of trees. And <laughs> No, they don't. Uh, I think people almost see concrete, glass, and steel, and asphalt as a hindrance to connecting with nature or connecting with the spirit of the city, because cities have their own type of a spirit and they have their own energies about them. And a lot of it is probably birthed out of the the electric lines and gas lines and sewage and water lines that, that are bringing things in. And I, I kind of think that they work with the spirits of nature there. I mean, sometimes we just kind of plow them over, but but, I, but I, I go a step further and say those are the spirits of nature that are there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I agree with you. Uh, I I just think that some people they want to they avoid them or they they abandon them or think no they're they're not they're not natural because it's concrete which is human human created. Right. But, that's my issue with this. It's like there's there's so much latent world reject rejectionist ideas that that we just inherit as part of uh, the society, you know, the, the overculture, if you will, where we are, we are taught and we are told to kind of reject the world around us. And there's the, it, it, getting into the whole kind of like the more Christian ideology and of like, you know, you look for heaven, you don't necessarily look for like, there's all these other religious theories. There are, yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the most eloquent speaker on comparative religions here. Uh, let, me, let me stick to roadway design. But I, but the idea that the the overculture in the U.S. tends to be a world-rejecting overculture because of the, the Christian influences that are there. And paganism is a world-accepting. And if you kind of peel back those assumptions about the glass, the steel, the concrete, the asphalt... What are these things? These are all natural materials that we have fashioned in some way. And we are not the only living species on this planet that fashions and changes our environment in extensive ways. Um, now, granted, we <laughs> have done it to a degree that we are um, changing the climate of this planet. And yeah. Been, been proven so like i'm i'm not here to kind of dismiss the impact that humanity has had on the the systems of this world but we are using natural materials and i say kind of like quote-unquote natural materials but like they are they are natural materials that are then processed and changed form in a way that best suit us to build our environment but take a Take a moment, take a step back, and let, let's look at each one of these things. What what is glass? How is glass made? Do you do you know? Actually, I'm I'm curious. Uh, sand and heat. There you go. That's <laughs> like, that, that's down to the basic basics, <laughs> right? Like you. <laughs> and what color glass is, is is a is a panel of frozen beach. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah. and I mean. Yes, obviously it's not, but there are traces of that history that are there. And to see glass as part of our environment, as a product of our environment, to not view it as some kind of abhorrent artificial other, mm-hmm. you know, glass is simply heated sand. It's, and it's, it's natural in that respect. The um, concrete, concrete. Sandstone and water. Say, th- there you go. <laughs> For the most part. <laughs> but, yeah. like, 
It's, I'm breaking it down to its basic, basic elements. I mean, yeah, it's. And those are all things that we can work with as, as world affirming polytheists, right? Like we can work with spirits of stone. We can work with spirits of water, the, the, the mortar and the lime. These are all natural on some level and we put them together. I mean, if you look at an ancient Roman bridge <laughs> that has concrete in it, it, it's it's a different mix of concrete, but concrete essentially is still the same. There is a presence to that concrete that has been imbued by time, but there's no reason that we can't begin to build those relationships. It, it, in many ways, it's you can you can sometimes in, in new construction areas. And not sometimes, actually, like in new construction areas, the spirits of the land there are very confused. They are put in these positions and these places, in these contexts, in these proximity to each other that is new and different and they're not used to it. And it takes time to build those connections and it takes time. We as polytheists, we as heathens can work with those land spirits that are, are new and confused and we can offer give them offerings and give them love and give them acknowledgement and work with them and honor them in the form that they're in now, rather than rejecting them for the form that they have now taken, that someone has put them in that form, you know, for better or worse. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily arguing that like we should all become primitivists sort of thing. I, 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 I like my modern lifestyle, but I think the, the modern lifestyle that we live needs to be more intentional and things need to be done more intentionally. And as polytheists, we have the opportunity to go to uh, a, a huge piece of concrete <laughs> and honor the spirits, the land spirits that are in that concrete and love them for what they are and for who they are and and help them settle into their new form and help them settle into their new place. I love that you said it that way, Paul, because... That's so true that we, you know, the world is at a stage where we can't be primitivists. Is that how you said it? <laughs> uh, I mean, if we were to go back, I mean, but, you know, you go back a thousand years, 2000, 3000 years, they were transforming the world to what they wanted it to be too. Uh, they just didn't create concrete in 80, 80 story buildings or 150 story <laughs> buildings, you know, <laughs> yet, but they were still, I mean, they took ore and fashioned it into metal for swords and boats and rivets and things. I mean, that's completely transforming as well. I mean, that's humans have always done that. So I love that you brought out to connect with how they, how we've transformed or that element into what it is and honor the spirit that it is now. And I kind of, that's why I was really thrilled when you reached out to me and asked me about this, because this is really passionate to me as a person who lives in a city and who feels that aspect of things. I mean, we we can't just tear down every single building here and have 7 billion people be able to live off the land. We, we, would, de- we would desecrate it even fur- further than what it is. It's just not possible. Right. Uh, so here we are doing this. And, um, the thing with the construction, I, I was really, I had never really thought about this, but you talked about how the land spirits are confused and disturbed and it really is empowering to think that maybe we should, when we see a construction site, go and talk to the spirits that are there and maybe 
assure them that it will eventually be okay. They're confused now. They're up in arms. Or to me, it might, I have this visual of when I was a kid. When I know bad, bad me, but um, I would go up and kick a, an ant hill and just watch them all go crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so th- that must be how those spirits are then, especially when they tear down a building to put up a new one. Here you have this urban, this giant building or whatever building that has had these spirits there, these house spirits as well that have moved in to have all that taken away and then something new put up. It must be really confusing to them. So what do you think? Is that something maybe we can consider doing, going and maybe making an offering and saying, hey, it will be okay and connecting with them that way? I would say if it's if it's something in your neighborhood, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, then, don't go seeking it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, passing by a construction site and and trying to honor the spirits that are there and trying to offer them assurance and and offer them a drink of water um, or whatever sort of offering may have been most traditional in that area. You know, around around here in the Northeast, a, a lot of us. Um, will tend to make tobacco offerings because that is what a lot of the land spirits around here have traditionally received from the, the longstanding indigenous people of the, of the Northeast. So there, there's, it, it's, it's all about being mindful and it's all about mm-hmm. being intentional. Um, you know, it's a lot of times <laughs> like, like those ants, you kind of, there, there is a sense of maybe sometimes it's good to back away and let them do their thing. Uh, you know, when, when, if, if a spirit is actively in pain and actively being torn apart, like I wouldn't, I don't know that it would be the the wisest thing to let down one's spiritual barriers and say like, Hey, I'm here for you, buddy. Like that, 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 that doesn't seem wise to me, but it, to acknowledge the pain that's being occurred, that, that is occurring to acknowledge the scarring or to acknowledge the, the transformation that has taken place with newer construction in a lot of our urban environment, especially in the U S I'll say has been neglected and abandoned as habits have changed and transformed. We have so much infrastructure in this country that is underutilized right now. We have so many rust belt cities. We have so many, older mid-sized cities that are not at the population that they once were or that the population has spread out into the suburbs. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, let's advocate for infill. Let's advocate for preservation and let's advocate for redevelopment when these things happen. And and if we're going to do any sort of energetic work, let's try to turn the energies towards that rather than the new construction. And in situations where new construction must occur to honor and uh, appreciate the, <laughs> I don't know that honor and appreciate are even the right words, but to to acknowledge what's happening there and to offer relief how you can in a way. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so before we kind of wrap things up, what are, what are some things that some advice that you might give to people who are maybe struggling with coming to this balance of working who have to live in a city but feel like oh I just can't connect with city spirits or or they have this aversion to city spirits because nature's best you know what I mean yeah so what what are some what are some things that you think I mean you live you live in New York City I mean 
that is just, there's probably very little nature space aside from Central Park or maybe some other few parks here and there. And if that's my ignorance, please don't skew <laughs> if there's parks on every bar, on every block. I don't know. <laughs> I just know what I see in, in my crime dramas, you know, but, uh, oh <laughs> <laughs> but Fun fact, the- New York city does not have very many alleyways. And if you, look at a lot of those crime dramas where something is happening in a quote unquote alley. It's probably the exact same alley that it was in the last episode. There's, we have like two alleys in New York city, but there's, <laughs> also, it's, it's fascinating that the New York city of media versus the New York city that is real is, is there. a fascinating yeah. disconnect there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, um, I mean, but yeah, so to, what do you to think about that by the city and, I, I would say, look, let's acknowledge that our our physical beings are were built, evolved in partnership with other living beings. So I do think it's important to acknowledge and cultivate and try to find those living connections wherever possible. You know, have have plants, look for the street trees, understand the street trees that happen in uh, on your blocks or, or around where you're at. Um, join the community garden, take walks in parks. Like I, I, I don't want to have this high in the sky, rosy eyed sort of look that like you can get by without ever seeing a tree without ever seeing a green thing. Like, like, no, that's, that's not what I'm trying to say here, but by looking around and understanding the systems, the, 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 the systems that are in place in a city that are not those green systems can help you keep the energy that you have so you don't need to be recharged as often uh by going out into nature or by you know you can you can be in the city and retain your reserves and not feel drained when you can connect better with what's there but but to start off it's i do think it's important to look around and understand what your uh environmental touchstones are uh, we actually we didn't get into this but like there's a whole other thing to look at what the stories of different things are. There are, there are uh, Zelkova trees that are planted throughout <laughs> as street trees throughout most of North America. And these Zelkova trees are being planted because the Dutch elm disease wiped out all of the elm trees. And the elm trees were planted everywhere because they were the perfect street tree. And I, I don't say that lightly. It's not a great growing environment for a lot of trees, but for the American elm, loved it. They were very happy. And they grew to be 60 feet plus tall. And they had the structure that was like a vase where the, the branches would just kind of come up and out. You don't see that anymore because they're all dead. <laughs> the Dutch elm disease came through. And because we had a monoculture, of all one species of trees, it just wiped out all of the street trees. And ever since then, urban urban foresters have been really working to figure out how do we have a diversity of trees that can meet so many of the form and characteristics that worked really well for the, the elm tree. And so all of this is to say that so many of the choices around are intentional choices that someone has made. And the more that you can understand the choices that are made in your environment, why, what are these street trees and why are these street trees here? Why does that window look that way 
what's going on there? What's up with that column? Why, like, um, I'll ask you this. Do you know why so many of the courthouses and even like the really old libraries all have this kind of same characteristic of kind of columns in the front and then kind of like the 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 triangle on top i'm forgetting i'm i'm not an architect so i sometimes forget the architect words but like <laughs> you you know that that kind of like classic mm-hmm. like american civic building shape do you do you know where that comes from well it's it's greek based architecture yes yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, oh, okay. and and why because we we were the you know we're we were we're being a, a democracy and to be a democracy was to be part of you know to tap into the greek ideals of what it is to be a, a state you know so in order to cultivate that idea a lot of early american architecture emulated greek and roman styles there was a whole greek revival style and it was popular during certain periods of time. And so the more that you can even understand some of these architectural styles and where they're coming from, it will it will not only tell you an idea and of a story, but it will also give you a sense of a time. The, the international style, um, the international style that came up in the 50s of these glass towers, of, of these uniform buildings that all look the same, no matter what city you're in, in the entire world. Do you the, the story behind that is the entire planet just had a world war and the, like a, a two world wars, in fact. And the idea behind a lot of those world wars was these ideas of, of nationalism and of my country versus your country. And you had these architects and these designers who were coming in and saying, we believe in a utopian vision, a utopian future where we are all one, where we are all one unified people and it's not about a french style or an italian style it is an international style where we can all be in harmony together with each other and it's so beautiful but like for me growing up there was always this kind of like those glass towers they're so ugly blah 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 like and there's this disdain for them that we have kind of inherited and i I think that's just of a maybe a generational thing where the the international style like the was those buildings were kind of getting old when I was growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Like not but, quite as taken care of. Yeah. But like the, the idea behind them is so beautiful. And to be able to look at a glass tower and think about and connect yourself to the story of that architectural style, the, the story of what's going on there that helps you connect to the spirit of that building because that building was built in that spirit. That house was built in that that neo gothic style that was happening during the late nineteenth century. Like, so it's <laughs> if it sounds like I'm offering up a lot of homework, it's because I am, and it's because I'm a heathen, and that's what we do. But like, <laughs> the more that you the more that you understand these styles, the more that you understand these materials, the more that you kind of look for signs of these little networky connections and the, the, the kind of hidden systems that are embedded within our infrastructure, the more connected you will be to the spirits of these places because you know their past and you know their stories. That's, I think that's a great starting point. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, because it's, it's just looking out where you are. And I, I always encourage folks when we, when we do have these conversations on a more personal level is, 
you know, they're like, oh, I live in this apartment building, you know, I'm not like you with this nice house or, or someone else who has this, who lives out in the country in this great little cabin. I'm like, yeah, but you have nature, you have spirits living there with you. You have a, apartment buildings on a plot of ground. There's nature spirits there. Uh, you've got spirits that live up in there that are part of, you know, the concrete and the steel. So connect with them and introduce yourself to them and find out it might take a little bit to get to know them. They might be a little nervous because no one's ever reached out to them before. <laughs> or, or frankly, they might be very angry. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that might be too. Yeah. yeah. It, but it's, it's, um, it's, you're not, you're not doing it to get energy from them per se. It's you're doing it to build connections with the community that you're in, both the community of the people and the community, the, the community of the living human beings and the community of the living other beings. And it's all connected. Actually, it's I, I, I feel like I'm remiss, but like all of this talk about like about land spirits and infrastructure, it's also really important to get to know the people, the people who live in all these different neighborhoods. Cities, as they grow and change and new people come into different neighborhoods, a lot of the old people or the people who've lived there for a long time can feel alienated or d- displaced if a lot of new people are moving in. And it's a it's a real problem in a lot of cities, especially like growing cities and and, and gentrification is kind of a word that gets thrown around a lot. But like it, and it's a and it's a real thing. Let me let me tell you, living here in New York City, gentrification is definitely a real thing. But when you're in a neighborhood, it's so important to also just acknowledge the people that are there and say say hello to the people that are there. And, you know, I, I'm not expecting everyone to be an extrovert, but like even to just look people in the eye and nod and, and just be like, hey, I, I exist as a human. You exist as a human. We exist together here in this moment and just share, share an eye contact, share a nod. It doesn't have to be a huge thing, but that is part of your local community where you are. Yeah. And it's so important to just reach out and make sure you're a part of that, too, and that you're not harming the community that you're moving in by being a stranger and by making those who live there feel like strangers in their own neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just a wave even to start. Wow. Great stuff. Wow. That's a lot. (laughs) And homework. homework. I think you're the first. I think you're my first guest that's given homework to people. Uh Oh, (laughs) so we'll have to have you back so that people can write in and discuss their homework. I, I would be honored to return if people have questions if there's sorts of any sort of follow up, if whatever uh, whatever you need, I'm I'm happy to come back and, and be a part of the conversation. Um, I'm I'm happy to share all this, and who knows? Like I, I've I, I there's there's stories that I've learned in my years of experience in education, and I am happy happy to share them with any polytheists who would feel value in in these stories. Absolutely. And the most important part of this whole thing today was just, I was hoping that people would feel comfortable connecting to urban spirits and connecting with where they are and, and settling into that aspect of things because there's, there's a wealth of stuff to, to learn and be a part of from the fellow humans to the fellow other beings. And it's really an awesome experience, I think. Yeah. Well, Paul, thanks so much for joining us and we will have ways to contact you in the show notes. So thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Please have a look at the show notes for links and, well, notes. 
podcast is available from Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and other podcast catchers. Feedback and reviews are greatly appreciated. Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at @weirdgifts1 and on Facebook at, at @giftsoftheweird and email me at giftsoftheweird.com. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you.